Thank you, Lord. Lord God, hear the cry of your people. Establish your truth in that community of Napanduri. Lord, let there be, Lord, a manifestation of your word. For you told your servant, Paul, as he sold the brethren, that the word of God is, Lord, was preached with demonstration of spirit and of power. Let this word be active. Let the word be like fire. Let it be like a hammer. Let it break through the traditions of the people. And let the light of the gospel shine in that place in the name of Jesus. Establish your word in that community. And let there be a foundation of your light in that community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. Praise the Lord. Okay. Tonight we want to address a subject which is very foundational to the Christian faith. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Right from the background scripture of Mark chapter 8, we know from verse 34 that Jesus was talking about following him that is following Jesus and it was in the course of that message talking about his death and how his disciples were struggling with that message that Jesus decided to teach or mention that from verse 34 it says when he had called the people to himself or disciples also he said to them whoever desires to come after me let him deny, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and gospel's sake will save it. Hallelujah. Note the fact that it says, whoever loses life for my sake and gospel's sake. They go together. They are two different things. Losing your life for the sake of Christ and losing your life for the sake of the gospel. In other words, one is talking about the preaching of the gospel. The other is talking about living the life of the Christian. Amen. This, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy with the holy angels amen you know this is a very detailed part of the scripture but it's also it's a part of scripture that many believers can easily um i'll say not misinterpret, but extremely interpret, depending on the way you look at it. Hallelujah. It's very easy, like we have people on um, Easter, Good Friday, who want to demonstrate this in, maybe in the Philippines, or who want to be, belong to a certain spiritual order, decide that, okay, to show that I'm willing to lose my life, 
Maybe I'll walk on broken bottles. That is what we call ascetism. Using pain to demonstrate your faith. Hallelujah. And Paul addressed this to clarify that there is a difference between what we are talking about here and what Jesus is talking about here and ascetism, where you decide that I'm, I want to suffer to prove that I, I, I love the Lord. Maybe on Good Friday they should put me on a cross and then they'll nail me for about three or four hours and I'll feel like Christ. Or instead of sitting in a car, I'd rather walk. Hallelujah. Or if I am blessed with an opportunity to do the service of God, I'd rather deny myself of all the privileges and maybe once your salary comes in, you just share it. Somebody was telling me that a relative of his or has had that, that kind of situation. Thinking that by sharing everything and then every, at the end of it, go a begging as well. It showed that he or she was very, was, 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 was um, denying herself and then following Jesus. Hallelujah. So when you look at the book of Colossians, you see in chapter 2, Paul makes some statement there, which he uses to clarify this. And it's important that we note it from verse 20. Colossians 20, uh, 2 verse 20. It says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Some people believe that this actually means legalism. Regulations. The apostle is not talking about regulations. We're talking, and Jesus is not talking about regulations. He's talking about an act of faith. So, Paul, with, an, uh, uh, with a progressive revelation of what Jesus was saying, now explains this thing in Colossians chapter 2. And says, it's not about subjecting oneself to extreme regulations. But what is it? It says, do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. Your ability, much as we are talking about dying to self and all of that, it's not really about how much because, you see, Jesus also made some statement about these things. He said that sometimes people can say they have died in the flesh, but in actual fact, in the mind or in the heart, is another thing. Hallelujah. So it's not really about the rules, as Paul is explaining, which concern all things, which perish with the using. So it's not just the visible that makes one die or one uh, buried with Christ. Or one exchange, but it says, which perish with the using to the com- commandments and doctrines of men. Verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against indulgence of the flesh. That's why sometimes people in trying to want to show that they are humble. Because, and this is talking about people who embark on extreme fasts and do extreme spiritual exercises. They would walk in the cold or want to baptize people, whether it's winter or in summer, whatever time, season. They, they, as a show that they really are genuinely committed to Christ. And they will do anything 
to punish pamel the body with a mind that that will bring place a pleasing to God. So it's important that when we talk about these things, we know that it's not the same. And so Paul is explaining to us that this sort of taking up your cross, self-denial and following him, and then he says, a man giving his life in exchange for that of, uh, 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 or what will a man give in exchange for his soul, that kind of exchange is not this thing. It's very important to get this thing very clear before we move further. Hallelujah. My friend Bishop Dag wrote a book about three or four years ago. He said, losing, suffering, sacrificing, and dying. All of these words don't, are not things that we, we all like to experience. Hallelujah. It's not nice. We don't want to lose. But I think that he brought it within the context. The context is that if you look at the writer's own life, you can see that he's not against God blessing you as a child of God. Because he has been blessed. Amen. I'm saying that he has been blessed. God has given him a lot of opportunity. He's built many things. I mean, institutions. If you go to the school up in Mampon, you see that the guy is blessed. <laughs> There's nothing like that in Ghana. There's no institution in, the, in this, this part of the world like what you see in Mampon. And it takes money to do that. All the facilities that God has used him to build in Ghana and abroad, um, I have been privileged to see many of them in the uh, U.S., uh, in, um, in Britain, places that Africans don't own property so easily that God has blessed him and his church to have. So it tells you that he is not against you being blessed. Are you getting what I'm saying? But then, it's important that in the Christian life, one's heart is not charged with just the desire to just get it, get it, get it. Build, 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 or make money, make money, or get fame. If you become very significant in society, let me say that you don't really owe anybody an apology if God blesses you and you become, say, MD of any of the big banks or financial, any institution. We have good Christians, sound people that have been elevated at a governmental level. We should be careful that it doesn't, we don't criminalize them in our mind. Or we don't make them look like sinners just because they are, be, they are good or they've been blessed. Hallelujah. So that's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is not saying that, the Lord Jesus is not saying that, oh, because you are following him, when you get a promotion, you refuse it. Because if you get it, you'll be tempted and you'll fall. That's not what he's saying. Are you with me? And in fact, if the church was full of only poor people, we would not be able to sit in this kind of building. It would be very difficult to put up such a building. Hallelujah. But what Jesus is saying is that even as we are following him and we seek to do his work, there may be times that things will not be that rosy. And when it comes to that time, like Paul says, in season and out of season, whether you have it or you don't have it. He said, Paul said, I have learned to abound and to abase. If I have it, I'm happy. If I'm not having it, I'm still serving the Lord. 
So, if you don't have it, and it means that even whatever you have because of the Christ that you are following, you are going to have to lose it. It shouldn't be an issue. That's what we are talking about here tonight. So, when we talk about giving something in exchange for your soul, there is some desire there that wants to compromise your soul, your, your, the, the, where your soul is going to, or what your soul can achieve. And I'll explain that also. So it's important as we lay the foundation for every child of God to know that we are not talking about our citizen, which is punishment to prove, prove, prove that we, are, we love God. Neither are we talking about the fact that, oh, uh, poverty or living a certain life which, show, which denies ourselves of God's privilege. Because God does not deny us. He says, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health. Hallelujah. Even as your soul prospers. And he says, promotion does not come from the east nor from the west, but it comes from the Lord. So even as you are sitting there, maybe you are a sergeant or something, or whatever officer you are, and the Lord opens the door and they make you an officer. Praise God. We rejoice with you. Amen. We will be happy if everybody here got promoted on their jobs or got business opportunities and got things done. So we don't have to be begging the unbelievers for their wealth. So it's okay. If you do, do good work and you serve God faithfully and God blesses you, He will bless you anyway. Amen. But if it happens that in spite of all the faithfulness, somehow some unfortunate situation comes up, that's what we are dealing with. As we are preaching, as we are living the life, there are two things. One can suffer for living the life of Christ. In other words, through persecution, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, all that will seek to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. So if you live a godly life in Christ, it's not unusual. What do you mean by a godly life in Christ? The fact that you don't react to situations the way people of the world will react to those situations. People of the world, when they, they, things don't go well, they use ways and means. Hallelujah. How many of us know, know ways and means? If you are in football, there's a ways and means. Eh? If you are in, in, in business and other areas, there are ways and means everywhere. In trading, there's ways and means. In, 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 in manufacturing, there's ways and means. Even in, in the practice of things like medicine, there are ways and means. So, the professions, so to speak. There are, there, there are ways and means. Cutting corners to make it. Which is today the, the, what is invoked. Now, the temptation to make it at all costs is very strong. The pressure, especially on today's generation, to make it. That means to succeed and to be in the, at the ahead of the pack is very strong. But you see, when you want to be a Christian, a Christian woman, a Christian man in a place, in a world, don't forget, don't, let's not deceive ourselves that, oh, God is always in control of everything in this world. God is not always in control of everything in this world. Jesus, the word of God says, in whom the prince of this world, the ruler. In fact, Jesus even did say, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. So, the systems of this world are not always the way you see the presence of God. It's a theology that we need to confront. So it is, it, there are many things that happen in the world system that God looks at 
he can judge us. In his sovereignty, he will judge in his fullness of time. He can decide to intervene immediately. And many times he will intervene when we have invoked his presence through prayer. Amen. Or through knowledge. Through knowing the word of God and applying the word of God. That's why he said he sent his word and his word delivered them and healed them from their transgression. So when the situation, the prince of this world is in the world and enslaving people, enslaving minds, enslaving societies, enslaving communities. But when we send the word like we are sending the word to Napanduri, the word goes there as a light. And shines in that place. Goes into a family that is bedeviled by something. Maybe a cyclical pattern of, of, of destruction. A cyclical pattern which, is, which, which brings gloom and, and agony and trouble. And through the word, that yoke is broken. Hallelujah. Or the anointing also comes to break that yoke. Hallelujah. So the world system is run by the world. By, by, by Satan. But when you and I have Christ, we are able to penetrate it. So we must understand that we are aliens in this system. And that is part of the reason why this exchange comes up. The issue we are talking about, that what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, is very tied to this issue about the ownership. Who owns you? The issue of who controls you. Whose, whose, whose assignment am I fulfilling? Who has commissioned me? Who am I living for? What am I living for? It is at the core of it. Because the value that you put on your soul depends on who owns you. Let me explain this further. You see, we are talking about, it says, what shall a man give in exchange for what he sold? Hallelujah. Remember that in, in the book of Ephesians, it just dropped in my spirit. Ephesians 1, 7 talks about him who have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We used to be slaves of Satan, of the world. Now, it means our souls were controlled by Satan. But in Christ, we are now controlled by Christ. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit, so the word of God says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Amen. So, that difference, what is it that will make you and I decide that I belong to Christ? I have redemption. When we say redemption, it means Christ has bought us. So, we didn't have a life of our own. So, for us, we are talking about in exchange it means that you can be an owner, you can be owned by this side or that side. What will make the difference for me or you to allow yourself to be owned by the dark world of Satan or to be owned by God? That is what we are talking about. Every, excuse me, every step we take as believers adds to the value or diminishes the value. We're talking about exchange. We're talking about trading here. Where the property is determines its value. Isn't that so? A house at Mamobi is it the same as East Cantonment House? Tell me, answer me, speak to me. Why? 
Why is it so? Why is it so? The, the environment. What determines the value of a property? What depends? Huh? Their location. What else? Their quality. What else? So we are, if we bring it practically, what, what determines the value of your soul? No, you are using the same words. Don't make it spiritual. (laughs) Don't make it too spiritual. I want you to, the same simple words. When I said, what determines the value of your property? You said it's location. And then what else? What else? Who owns you? Is important in determining your value. Or? Or you don't understand what I'm saying. Okay. Try and marry in the royal family. If you are going to marry a princess, if Prince William and Co, they had a sister, and you from Africa, you wanted to marry their sister, what do you think will will happen? (laughs) You may be disqualified. But if you have to, even if the lady liked you, and you also liked her, what do you think will happen? What would determine the bride price? When you are going to marry somebody's daughter, what determines the bride price? We are dealing with exchange. What determines the bride price? Can you? Uh, the name of the family. The, the family identity. The ownership. The identity determines the ownership. Hallelujah. Now, you, are, you call yourself a child of God. What determines your value? The ownership. But you see, it's not as simple as I belong to Christ. Because what, what, does, what does an owner do to a property? What is the implication of ownership? What is the duty or what is the obligation or what are the privileges of the owner? On a, on a property. You see, it, it's, it's very important to understand these things if we are talking about not wanting to exchange something of the world for the spiritual. See, unless you understand it within this context, it's very easy to swap our position in Christ for something else. That's why many people are not able to go the full journey. When you look at the scriptures and you hear about Jacob and Esau. Jacob, Esau. What did Esau lose? First place of, of right as a firstborn. Isn't that so? He, why did he lose it? Because at the time he was doing the exchange, he had forgotten the benefits of a firstborn child. He didn't know that being the first son of Isaac has certain privileges. That he had to decide whatever he wanted from the estate of Isaac. What he didn't want was what could be given to Jacob. Carrying the name of Isaac, he would have said, by now we should be saying, the God of 
Esau. God of Isaac. God of Abraham. We shouldn't be saying God of Jacob. If he had bought into, understood the death of that linkage. It's the same thing that we also are in. You are called son or daughter of God. Many times when we are experiencing things in life and we are pressed, you know, I talked about we are living the normal Christian life or we are preaching the gospel and it looks as if we are losing something, we are under pressure to give up our faith or to stop the preaching of the gospel for something else. It's very easy to, when you forget who you are in Christ, in terms of what he has invested in you. That is why it's good to read the scripture, especially the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, if you want to know who you are in Christ. So I'm just taking the thing from the middle and simplifying it. We are talking about what shall a man give? Let's go back to it. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We are dealing with a man understanding, number one, the visible and the invisible part of what happens in his soul. The tangible and intangible. A lot of times when we are talking about ourselves, our, a man, or it's like a house. Many people, when you're going to buy a house, apart from Many people, uh, let me, forgive me, sisters. When sisters are buying a car, what do they usually look at? What do they look at? Color. Eh? It's nice. Oh, a nice eye. Isn't that I'm not belittling, but that's true. Men, too, we have our problem. We, too, we know we are unidirectional. We can't think about three or four things at the same time. Most men can't. Every time I'm crossing the road, my wife's always fighting with me. I'm talking to you and you are crossing. Why don't you just... Why can't you answer at the same time? No, I have to finish. Cross. I have to put up the radio, stop the car, look left, right, and move on. I don't... I can't... No, no, no. Please, just let me focus. When I cross, you can talk. But women can come out about five things. She's cooking, she's ironing, she's packing clothes, she's doing so many things. That's your benefit. But one of the things that I know most women struggle with is choices. Isn't that true? So when you get to buy a car, what do you normally look at? What do you, color, eh? And whether you want a car which is high or it's low, that's all. <laughs> they hardly open the engine. They don't know whether that's anything called carburetor, gas, uh, gaskets, all these things, uh, exhaust pipe, and all these. They don't care really. They just want to get a car which will move from A to B and there's air conditioning. And everything is fine. There's music. So if it's, they've coated it, even the paint, they can't even tell if it's metallic or normal paint. You can even get emulsion and paint it. Once it's looking shiny, they will, they will accept it. But somebody who understands the value of cars, the first thing he will come and say, okay, spark it. Let me see whether there's water coming in the exhaust. <laughs> they will go and put his hand somewhere and say, okay, remove something and then, 
press the, the, the accelerator and see if something will happen here. Press this, do this. They will put on so many things. So it's not as we see it. Many times you can look at a believer or a person and think that, oh, it's just as you see him or her. When we look at life that way, we lose the value. That's why many times you buy a car and you think you bought a nice car six months down the line. Or you buy a house, especially when you buy it in the dry season. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the first rains come and you start seeing the lines on your wall. And you say you are be- or you rent a house and you pay so much. And before you realize, you, you, feel, you feel like a, a fool. Because that's not what you bargained for. And you pay it. And some other people have paid a similar amount and they are free. And now in the night you are standing. <laughs> With buckets and all these things. Or you can't have access to your house. What happened? Because the, the value was not thoroughly thought through. Or like people buy companies these days. And these days, big, many big men and women end up in jail. Corporate, you know, Africa it doesn't happen often. But in Europe and America. Because of something they call intrinsic value. He's going to sell a company. They look for an accountant. They hash up the figures. And they don't get, people don't get the true, true, true value of the company. They bloat it. You buy the company a few years down the line, you realize the thing is all debt. It's all problems. Then before you realize, they start going for the, the big men who helped to do the deal. And they jail them all the time. The question, the issue I'm bringing up is that you cannot do a good exchange if you do not understand the true, the full value of what you're dealing with. The reason why many of us find it easy to exchange our royalty and our dignity and our, all the things we have in Christ for other things is that we have not thoroughly thought through. Many of the things that account for who you are and who I am in Christ, many times we don't, we don't look at it. So if you are dealing with what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The reason why the enemy comes with a dummy and swaps our money exchange for something is because we are not often discerning enough. In, in Europe especially, you have these um, Italian swindlers carrying fake designer jackets, leather jackets, leather designer stuff. They'll come, especially, they are, they are usually, excuse me to say, often Italians. They, they don't speak very good English and they can come and they look very, very persuasive. If they realize that you are journey just come, you just came to Europe, you don't know much about the system, they drive by you and they, oh, they are extra nice. They show you this jacket and you are, you can afford a, a $200, $500 jacket. And they offer you this jacket. I, 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 I got, I just, you know, I just bought, shipped a lot to London and because of this, uh, I could, I need the money quickly. I want to go back to Milan or somewhere like that. Uh, if you don't mind, I just want to just give it away. In fact, really, if you, I can, if you buy one, I can even dash you another. Then you, 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 you see the label, the names, Italian labels. <laughs> and you are panting. Young African boy or girl. And you think, this thing, 
I don't, you, even if you have money in the machine, you say, okay, let me go to the machine, go get it. And you get it. And usually they are carrying a nice car. And you see the jackets in the car, the back. You see that if you miss it and they go, you won't get it. Then what happens? You go for it quickly. As soon as you turn and you start, you, most of those jackets are 40. The leather is fake. What am I talking about? Because you did not know the true value of your money and what you were even getting that it was even worse than the money you were taking. Many times we are in the faith. We are doing something for the Lord. Something tells you or somebody tells you that no. You have a feeling that you are losing out. And what you are losing, you're not weighing what you gain from that loss. Because you haven't sat down to say, even in the so-called losing state, you have still gained. You haven't weighed that aspect. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. Many times, we are talking about, when we talk about losing, we are afraid to lose riches. We are afraid to lose relationships. Like marriage, friends, and all of them. For the sake of Christ. That is why sometimes we bend over backwards. You see a Christian sister or a Christian brother. He wants to marry or she wants to marry. And there's somebody who is not in Christ, who is not established. I see and hear that all the time. And people say, no, it doesn't matter. Maybe he will change. Maybe she will be better. I will pray for him. Forgetting that it's just, it's a, we, we, com, we compare, we, we blame Esau. But I'm telling you that what many of us are doing today is just like what Esau did. Not realizing the value of your faith. Oh, maybe he will change. Maybe she will change. A few months down the line, a few years down the line, they begin to manifest something which makes you wonder whether you did the right exchange. You see, no angel is going to come to any of us and say to you, like Jesus, Satan appeared to Jesus in the, in the wilderness, in the temptation, and told me, would you, it was an exchange in Matthew chapter 4. That angel isn't going to come, Satan isn't going to come to you and I and say, look, sister, Oh, brother, can we do an exchange? It doesn't happen that way. He just makes the offer. Now, it's left to you to perceive that it's an offer for an exchange. For your soul. Now, unless the Holy Spirit, like she said, reveals to you that, look, where I'm standing, you the one even offering me, we say in Jesus, so, when you see the satanic agent or Satan himself offering something, either riches or relationships, see, what you, you, there is some of us, you are born again. And Satan says, I will give you a better friend or better company. The church people, they don't like you enough. They don't respect you enough. They don't value you enough. Your family people, your mother and your father, they don't really are not concerned as much. So, now, there's an exchange deal coming up there. 
And that offer, you, you also consider. Now, in your consideration, if you don't have discernment, you will not know that you belong. That's I talked about ownership. You don't know your true value. You don't know that you belong to the royal family, which is bigger than the royal family in England. So your worth is higher. So you are, you are worth more than a, a, a 50 CD note or a 100 CD note or a visit to a restaurant or a takeaway pack or just a promotion or something else. But because we, we, we don't see, we, we, as they say in Ghana, they used to say, we can't think far. A lot of us can't see far. When the offer comes, we think, made my brain enough. I've suffered enough, so I, this one cannot wait. I, I don't know when the next train will come. I don't know when the next opportunity will come. So I better grab it now, so that I don't suffer. Losing, losing, suffering, dying. Hallelujah. Losing, suffering, sacrificing, dying. We are in an age that nobody wants to suffer or lose anything. We don't want to lose what we perceive to be riches. We don't want to lose relationships, friends. Many times we want to be with friends, be accepted by all people. The scripture says that woe to them, when, to you, when all men praise you. Peter told Jesus, we have forsaken all and we have come to follow you. And Jesus said, ah, you haven't lost anything. But anybody who has given up something, we, mother, father, whatever, you get it back. Hallelujah. And with that, he didn't see, and with that, a, a lot of persecution. That part, almost of the time, we don't talk about it. We will get the, the, the relationships. We will get all of it. But sometimes it comes with persecution. Say amen. Position. Public support. Public sympathy. But you see, in all the things we are talking about, the part that is most scary is the unseen part. Or the things that we, 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 we are contesting, we are exchanging. The issue of ambition. Experience. Convenience. You know, Satan, today in our world, is getting a lot of us through convenience. Why are people not willing to sacrifice? Why is that everybody, nobody wants to, people don't even want to do ministry easily? It's convenience. Everybody wants to do some secular work where he's sure that when I retire, I'll get a good pension. When I, now I'm, I'm ready to go home. That's what, that's what that ministry, God understands that when I'm free, I can help. And nobody, this is not anybody, nobody has to force you. So we don't even bring ourselves under conviction of the spirit. So God can use us even when we are agile. But did you realize that most of the people God used to establish churches and ministries, not only in our time, but even in times past, in the Lutheran and all of those people that we talk, Luther and all of those people we talk about, Wesley. Wesley started in, at Oxford. 
Calvin, who started Presbyterian Church, started the University of Geneva. And many others who started. Luther was a young uh, a priest. Very few people have started ministry after the age of 30 and succeeded. That have left legacies to the world. That's the truth. That's a statistic, historical truth. And Africa is no different. If you look in Ghana, you see that most of the indigenous ministries that have thrived in the last 30 or 40 years, if you even go back to the, the, the traditional Pentecostal churches, the Machion era and the Apostle Enim era and all, you see that most of the key people that were used of God were in their late tw- mid-twenties, thirties, and then... So by the time they were 40, 45, a lot had already been... Many t- of them didn't even live beyond 60 years. And yet, the legacies they left are still with us today. Amen. So you realize that today, because convenience is one of the things that the enemy wants to exchange. Convenience. Everybody wants convenience. Everybody wants everything to be cooked. Because when you get into ministry, usually there are no guarantees. Very few ministries guarantee people accommodation, transport, pension, good pension, good honorable respectability. You understand? A reputation that it's not easy. Very few. So, generally, people are afraid to step out and say, the Lord has this. And I can understand it to some extent. But I also think that we have reached a time that when we look at the nature of the harvest and look at the nature of, of the field, we need to look at things again. Say amen. But the other side of it is that even those of us who are saying that we are, oh, I'm still doing lay and still doing it. Even that is a problem. Ministry in the marketplace is still a challenge. And all because we have not thought through that, yes, there is a season when, you know, every product has some form of expiry. Human beings, we also have expiry dates. Human beings have expiry dates. We have expiry dates, our final expiry date, and we have temp, uh, uh, seasons and times for different things. Are you getting me? There is an age that if you don't go to nursery school, you look, when you go, call, you go to class one, you go to class one, papa. Or mommy. You never saw or heard that before? When you become 20 years or 15 years, you go and wear uniform. Even though the graphic and the newspapers will, will hail you, oh, the man is tried. A 20-year-old man, he has gone to join his grandchildren in the nursery school and he's doing well and uh, yeah, so, so, and so. He's going to write DEC at the age of 45 and she's sitting there, you see her wearing this blue, uh, this uh, <laughs> brown thing. It looks so awkward, but <laughs> it looks okay. But really, you know that that person is not going far. It's better she goes to do adult literacy and find something to do than to go and register BEC. Why you go to BEC? You know it won't end here. And most of those people don't end anywhere. Why? Because that's not the norm. So even in normal phases of life, there is a season. There is a, 
there is a time for everything. And when the person does, when we don't seize our moments, when we don't exchange, we, we don't do what we have to do because of, uh, of fear of exchange and com- because of the, the convenience, it becomes difficult. There is a time in the office that we can get souls established or won. There's a time that it might be more difficult for you living in that office to speak to somebody about Christ. Hallelujah. There are people that today, maybe out of which maybe 30, 40 years ago, when we're working in certain places, would have loved to preach to. They are gone. We may never see them again. We pray that God will save them somehow. But it's gone. That season is over. Some of our classmates that we got the chance to talk to, they are gone. But worst of all, everybody in life has a season. Some will be, when I, I went to Sioux Cemetery a few times this week, some, six, I saw a, a, a child, eight months or something, or 18 months, I saw 18 years, and I saw 100 years, or 90 years, 93 years. They are all there. So there's no time frame. Hallelujah. But because of things like convenience, it's become an issue. And you see, because things like convenience are not seen, we only look at the things. When we say, oh, what will a man give his life in exchange for? We are, many of us are thinking about the bigger things, riches, the name, but sometimes also convenience, sense of worth, sense of pride, dignity is something that many of us get angry and we will not be happy at all. And that's part of the reason why sometimes we know we've been preached. We don't talk to anybody. Or we, we, our faith is lost. The Christ in us gets lost. People can do anything, say, say anything. But when it comes to your reputation, you see the Christ has been swapped. The Christian image, the Christian garment. That's why Ephesians says that put off and put on. Colossians says put off and put on. It's an exchange. Anytime you see that, it means that there is, can be a situation that will push you to put off the Christ. It's an exchange. And anytime the Christ is put off, it's an exchange of the soul. Anytime the, 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 a, a negative value is put on, it's an exchange of the soul. In the form of temperament, in, term, in terms of wrong desire, in ter- anything that happens is not just a one-off thing. When we talk about putting um, exchange, now let's face this truth: you and I are not the first to face this exchange challenge. Let's look at Hebrews chapter eleven. We're dealing with the exchange that the believer faces in his everyday life. Hebrews 11, 
verse 23 to 27. I'll use just a case of Moses to illustrate a few things, and then we'll pray. We'll talk about then the, what we should do to make sure that we optimize. When we get into the exchange, we always win. You know, some people complain that we do trading. We should not lose. Hallelujah. God is a God that prophesies. He, 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 he makes it possible for you and I to profit. Is he the Lord that gives us the power to make profit? It is the Lord, our God. He teaches you to, what, to make profit. It's not only money. You must make profit out of your spirituality. Hallelujah. We must make profit out of our spiritual relationships. Many of us are losing out. Investing spiritual time in the wrong places. We must make profit. It means we must grow. We must, we must gain out of it. And not when we say gain, we are not talking about the way the world gains. Hallelujah. Moses, the scripture says, by faith, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Go on to the next verse. By faith, when he became of age, refused, that is a choice, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, what, for you to understand this, you must know what, the, what was the value of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What do you think was the value? What do you gain from being born, raised in royalty, Peter? What do you think? Wuti, if you are a royal of Tamaklo family of Wuti, what do you gain? Okay, I, have a, I have a lot of privileges over the town than many people. Yeah, what privileges? What are the privileges? I want to know the privileges. We are regarded as the your sense of importance. Once you are in Tamaklo, they have their own farm, uh, uh, cemetery ground. Tamaklo, all the big properties, all the intellectuals. Are, so when you are moving, one day, one a certain old man told me years ago, said, "This family name you are carrying. If you go and look for a girl in this town or this other town, they will fall for you easy." <laughs> So if, I'm not saying you should go and look for a girl in Wuti, but I'm just saying that even getting to marry certain family names and backgrounds has value. Isn't that true? Because of a reputation they have built over the years. Everybody knows that their daughter or their son is going to a safe place. So when you go and say, oh mommy, I've got, if you, I found this guy. And where is he from? Oh, he's from Atai. He says, Father, it's called Atai. Oh, he said, Whoa, Lord. Awesome names. I already mentioned. It's a great problem. There are some other names that when you mentioned, oh, you've come from a good home. They know. Hallelujah. So being a son of the Pharaoh's daughter meant that the guy had an inheritance. If Pharaoh's daughter died, all the inheritance was going to go to him. That was what was being contested for riches. 
reputation. Now Moses had to choose between that and a God he had never seen. His mother and his father in their home privately had mentioned that we have the El Shaddai. But he didn't have evidence. So that's why I said by faith. That God never, in the Egyptian gods, they could see people who did bad things. These gods, will, they will go before these gods and these gods will strike them. People who wanted to invent things, they will go before these gods and these gods will give them some unusual wisdom. They will do some calculations. That's how they were able to do those pyramids. They said they've invented things. Some of the inventors were demon, demon infested. But they're still useful. It's for the wisdom originally came from God. They're just contaminated. So, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter meant that he probably was going to be a wise, have access to all the wise men in, in Egypt. At his command, everything was falling. But the opposite, he didn't see clearly. He, 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 if he didn't see clearly that there was the one, the one he was going to swap for on the other side was superior to that Pharaoh's daughter's powers. The magician's powers. He, he had insight by revelation that the powers that Pharaoh's daughter had, the magical powers, the powers of wisdom, the powers of the ocean, the powers of the pyramids, and all of them were inferior to the power of the God he was choosing to serve. Hallelujah. That's why I said, who, when you, if we are talking about exchange, for you to perceive this topic very well, you must understand who owns you? Who is your father? Who do you belong to? That's why Elijah asked the people, whose side are you on? Who's on the Lord's side? Because see, whose side you are on determines your value. Whose side you are on determines your value. Because he the one whose side you are on. He says, a cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. He's the creator of the universe. But if you don't have revelation, you only see Pharaoh's daughter's riches. Maybe 10,000 cattle, 5,000 sheep, and so on and so forth, which could die at his command. But the scripture said, he saw. No, go back to Pharaoh's daughter. When he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. You see, every one of us, you see, when he became of age, you can't hide behind your parents, you can't hide behind your husband, you can't hide behind your wife or your pastor for life. There will be situations where you too, you have to come of age and decide this. Every one of us will be confronted with this issue of choices, of the exchange, whether we like it or not, that's, that is when you come of age. <laughs> that's what it means. When you come of age, you promise come of age. It's not only about marriage. Oh. Every day we are coming of age in one thing or the other. If it's not marriage, it's about a job. If it's not a job, it's about even deciding just who to be your friend. You have to come, you come, whether you like it or not, you come of age. We all come of age. It's a point of decision. 
is the crossroads. Hallelujah. So the scripture says, he refused. So it means that in the exchange process, sometimes it involves refusal. Say amen. Sometimes it, it, it involves refusal. I mean, when you see us here, I want you to know that there have been many situations that have had to compel us to refuse certain things and certain people, certain situations to get to this point. And we are still being challenged to continue refusing. It's not one, it's not one of refusal. The fact that you refused at point A doesn't mean it's a one-off thing. No, it's not like that. It's not like we won't go and write BEC again, no. Or WAC again, or A-levels or O-levels, no. They ask, they, they, this one is a multiplication of exams. The refusals have to continue at certain points. But your ability to refuse deter, is determined by the, your revelation of the values you are dealing with. Every exchange is determined by values. Isn't that true? Those of you, how many of us are traders or have done trading before? How many of us have done trading? Huh? You've never traded. You trade. Everybody here has been a trader before. Even if you open a shop, you have still traded. You sold something before. And when you were selling what you were selling, you didn't just give it at any price. No. Or who, who does that? Have you, did you do that? Mrs. What did you do? You looked at the value of what you had. If you were selling an old car, even if the car was rickety and packed, you still want to know. Oh, bra, my bra, mechanics, all those. You calculate all those things. And if the person gives you less, you will feel it in your. You feel cheated. Or otherwise, you liberally say, okay, you, it doesn't matter. Let me just give. So every exchange depends on value. Any good exchange will depend on value. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in should not perish. Value. Value. He says, by faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's what Moses had to exchange. Let's look at the next verse. The next verse. Choosing rather to suffer affliction. That's an exchange. Choosing. So you either you take the shoes or the money. So you put value on money, you take it. Put value on shoes, if it's shirt or money. Gold chain. Some people can put, sell all their, their things and buy one piece of gold chain. Exchange. Have you seen that before? We see that all the time. The women, they, they know how to do it very well. They'll go to PMMC or somewhere of value that they know the gold is real gold. Not the Abyssinia. This type of, no, no. Not the one that they have just... Genuine one that is of value. When they, are, they, they need money, they take it to the jeweler. And they say, Charlie, mail this for me. Wait. And they put it on the scale. When you go to is it Brussels and those places, you see guards. That's where you see real, genuine, because the, the diamond and the gold is genuine. 
see, it's not the way we, the, our jewelry shops here are free. You can, no watchman, no nothing. There, hey, serious. They know the value. So when you go and see it, you see small earring, 5,000 euro. Small diamond earring. So this small thing, we, we, we most of us Africa, we look at size to determine things. That's why we spend all the time eating big, big things like fufu and all of those things. Other people, they don't determine quality by that. So, say choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Hallelujah. These choices are part of the everyday life of the believer. It may not be the same context, but every believer needs to understand that there's always going to be a, a choice between the life in Egypt and the life out in Goshen. The life in the new, new, the new land, sorry. So, believe, be, beloved in the Lord, as we are confronted with the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to suggest to you a few things. Number one, that will help you and I optimize this deal. That when we are confronted with this question of what to do, Paul was confronted with this. He answered it. We also are going to be confronted with this. Paul answered it in a different way. And he said that in Romans 8, verse 35, he saw the love of Christ on one side. And he saw other things. Tribulation Distress. In other words, a life without tribulation. That is, are we going to swap a life without tribulation? Or a life without distress free? A life without persecution? A life without farming? A life without nakedness? A life without peril? When we say nakedness, we're not talking about just being uh, like the nudies in Europe and other places are doing. No, talking about Coming, nakedness coming because of need based on preaching the gospel. That one did not, because you are preaching the gospel, people, you are deprived of what you are entitled to. So it can be, I mean, he's talking physical nakedness. But if you want to even stretch it further, you can be anything that brings a covering taken away from you. Sometimes it can be even a relationship. It can be a, 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 a spouse, naked, a life without that, just because of the faith. Losing that, are we still, will we still love the Lord and serve the Lord if that which we believe is our covering is taken? Hallelujah. Because we are standing here, and we have had situations where people maybe that were older around us will say to you or to me and say, look, if you are going to serve Christ in this way, then you are going to be a failure. 
or it will not work with you. That's, that's taking away the covering of one. And I've had that, people say that to me a number of times as I was young, growing up in the faith. That is nakedness. Making you naked in terms of economics, making you naked in terms of spirituality, and making you feel like you're on your own. Hallelujah. And Paul said, look, when you are confronted with that, will you say that, oh, because I want the love of Christ. Rather, if you take away your, your covering, your financial covering, your social covering, your network covering, they block all the places where you can make deals, where you can penetrate, where you can get a job, where you can move on in life. Will you still serve Jesus? Will you still preach? When you see clearly men and women conspiring to, to deprive you, see, shall, to, uh, nakedness, you're being naked of any covering. Any protection and any dignity. When nakedness comes your way, we're talking about loss of dignity. Any honor. When somebody threatens you, when a situation comes up, nakedness, beckoning, sharp tribulation, nakedness, threats of life. I remember when we were growing up, preaching. Early days. We had a situation you do all night, uh, all the dumb brokers. People come up with, with crowbar. Crowbar to attack us. That's a threat to stop you from preaching. To discourage you. Put fear in you. So this is foundational scripture. Peril. A life without peril. Is that what we are looking for? Or a life without sword? Physical sword or sword of tongue? Sword of tongue. The physical sword, when you die, as the president once said, all die be die. When you die, you are dead. But if it is sword of tongue, you are alive and you are hearing things that can cut your heart. How do you take it? Do you get offended? Do you get so upset? Do you decide to leave Christ and stop preaching? Be, or stop being a Christian? Or stop relating? Or stop serving the Lord? Because sword of tongue. The tongue, you know, Paul, the, 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 the apostle wrote about it. When men and women can cut you. And many of us, is what, the devil... One of the things that hurts us most and wants us often to leave Christ and the body of Christ and the church is often the sword of tongue. If it's just normal, if it's money, we will survive. If it's any other thing, even nakedness or, or in terms of protection, we will survive. But when, they, when you hear things said about you, especially what you believe is not true, then you say, as for this one, I've reached the end. If believers, if Christians, if this is what he said, if this is what she said, especially they think that it's somebody that they think is high or somebody they think they respect and is in the body and has said something that they are not happy about that one, then it means that's it. But Paul is saying that this cannot exchange my faith. Sword of tongue or sword of, of swords, metal, cannot exchange my faith in Christ. My love for Christ. 
Are you hearing me? Do you think that if some of us were to listen to the sword of tongues, we would be standing here? We don't listen. Do you know how many swords have come from the neck and from the back and from the rib and from the waist? That's why Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Some of you, you don't even get a chance maybe to be talking for media to pick you. Look at somebody like Archbishop Duncan Williams. Almost every Sunday, somebody is trying to pick himself. So if, if it was you, you said, okay, I want to go on a, 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 a sabbatical, preaching sabbatical, so that nobody will talk about me. I want to go mute. I'm very sure sometimes it, it occurs to people. Because everything the man, every time the man opens his mouth, he's in trouble. With media. Every week, if you go on Ghana web or any of the local Ghanaian websites, you will see something about his Sunday. He said this, something, some of the things he didn't say. They said, Reverend Macaulay said, put it on me, but it will never be. Everything. My grandmother used to say that everything, everybody who has died in this village, they should say, I killed her, him or her. <laughs> put it on me. It gets to the point where people get frustrated with these things. So you, you haven't, so Archbishop said, what have you survived? You haven't survived then. Nobody talks about you. There's no sort of tongue on you. That small nucleus friends who talk, spoke against you in the church, you are upset. That little thing that maybe the pastor or somebody spoke that he, you didn't like the way he or she said it. It's offended you so much that the whole world is coming down on you. Please. I want to wind up by give, sharing these few thoughts with you. Number one. What is the value of your soul? I believe that there are many more, but number one, for the child of God, your soul is a soul of the Son of God. First John 3, 1 and 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Hallelujah. So we are children of God. The value of my soul, I am a child of God. The value, I'm an heir. I've inherited certain things of God. Who owns you? Ask yourself. Every time you are walking, anytime you are confronted with a situation which is trying to buffet you or take you down or bring you under subjugation, ask yourself. Before you make a decision, before you quit, before you, you give up on serving the Lord or you choose the other side, remember who you are, who is your owner. Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I. But Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Amen. So, I am owned by God. I am born of God. Ephesians 2, 10 says, We are His workmanship. I may not be there yet, but I know I am His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
Ephesians 2.10. So people may criticize you. Things may not be the way you want things to be. You may not penetrate the way you want to penetrate. You are trying. Don't, don't just quit. Don't let the accuser get the better part of you. Because you are his workmanship. I am his workmanship. I'm preaching. I, I, I may not be preaching like A or B or C. You may not be preaching like A or B or C. But please, you are his, still his workmanship. Other people may not applaud you. People may not record, approve you. People may not endorse you. People may not appreciate you. But you are still the workmanship of God. Say amen. So don't exchange that dignity, that privileged position of who owns you. You are owned by God. You are on God's assignment. You have a mandate from God. The third thing and very important is that many times we don't compare the things, the privileges we are talking about properly with the, 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 the sufferings or the afflictions and the things we go through with the the things that are lying in wait for us. Hallelujah. And you see, Romans 8, 18 talks about this briefly. See, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, this revelation about the glory is very important. When a child of God lives a daily life without understanding of the glory. Yes, it's true. We have to go, we are aiming to go to heaven. But more than that, for, 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 to, to survive the trials and tribulations of this time, you need to know that even here, you are, the glory of God is upon you. Hallelujah. Even here, you see, eternal life begins here. It's not, eternal life is not where you die. That's why when you look at First John 5, he doesn't say that he who, has a, he who has a son will have life. No. He said, he who has a son has life. So the life is a continuum. It's starting here. The only difference is that the, the putting off of the, the, the human body is the only thing that according to First Corinthians 15 talks about. But the same life that we have, a relation that we have, the goodness and the mercies and the love of, of God and the relationship, the faith we have in Christ is what will continue in continuum into heaven. Hallelujah. It's not like, oh, okay, well, I, I, I will suffer now. Uh, when I die, then I will enter into the glory. I will start the glory. No. It is he who has the son has life. He who has not the son, has no, son of God has no life. So when you have that eternal life, you are walking in the life. You are living. That's why he says, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. So you, 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 are, you are in Christ. Your spirit is living in Christ till eternity. Hallelujah. And that is the, thing, the revelation a child of God needs to grab. When you grab it, it changes a, very, a lot of things in your way. You battle it out in this exchange. Many times, it's as if your flesh, you are using yourself to fight the thing. And then later on, when the scores are drawn, then you know whether you know. No, it's not like that. You enter, you have entered, and you are using the empowerment within Christ to do the battle and to win and to continue. Hallelujah. The life that I now live, I live now by the faith in the Son of God. You live in Him now. Now is the life continuum. Amen. So, when you are able to compare 
see the benefit in choosing to continue living in Christ, then like Moses, we have to make a choice. There is nothing wrong with making a choice. And don't be afraid to make choices in favor of the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid to make choices. Anytime you are making a decision, sometimes when you make a godly choice, it may not look on the surface glorious. But I can tell you that, like Paul said, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency may be of him and not of us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So. so, don't worry about how it may look or you may look when you are making the choice. Be concerned about how it's consistent with his purposes. This life that you are in, ask yourself, if you want to win and continue winning and making the right exchange, that we don't exchange the world's system and the world's values for our things, how do I continue winning and winning and winning in Christ by continually making choosing 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 him above as for the the pressure to exchange for something less it won't stop just like galam say hasn't stopped just like all these um, fake things in town haven't stopped the same way, there will always be the exchange. But when the exchange comes, the other things, short time, the pleasures of the world, the, 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 the expression, sometimes we say, oh, I've I, I blown my feelings. <laughs> or oh, I've just shown that me to all of those things. Science is an exchange. <laughs> it's an exchange. All of those desires that we struggle with. I pray that when those, those situations come up, we will not cave in and say, oh, it doesn't matter. I've suffered enough. I've toiled, waited on the Lord enough. I've done this enough. So now I can do what I want. That may be your final moment of decision. I pray God will help you and I. Let's pray for a moment. Make a prayer. And ask God for grace. That as his child, whenever you are confronted, to exchange something for your soul. May he open your eyes to see your value of who you are, who owns you, where you are going, and the choices that have to be made that we don't choose wrongly. But the Lord, help me in all my choices. May I choose the way of the Lord. For the scripture talks about this. There is a way that seems right unto the man, but the end thereof is destruction. Joshua said, Choose ye this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's very easy to choose the easier option. But may God give us grace, even when it's difficult to choose the path. Even if we have to lose, if we have to suffer, we have to die, the Lord will give us grace in Jesus' name.